Hello and welcome to Mirror Music. On episode 31, we discuss Slick Rick's Hey Young World and Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young's Teach the Children. We discuss Slick Rick's rap genealogy and all the people influenced by him, his personal history, and his storytelling skills. We also get into the folk rock scene in Laurel Canyon of the late 1960s and early 70s, some epic songwriting, and the magic of perfect harmonies, as well as the particular personalities of all of our protagonists. Finally, this episode is dedicated to the memory of David Crosby, who never did cut his hair. Thanks for hanging out with us. And now on with the show. We're doing this uh, pairing because we've lost somebody in the music mm -hmm. community. Yeah. Um, click like and subscribe to the page. Welcome to Mirror Music. Um, Andrew and I are lifelong friends now at this point. Uh, covering music from both sides of the coin, the heads and the tails. Yep. And, you know, we always try to do music pairings uh, that make sense, but also kind of go with the times. Unfortunately, yep. you know, with us um, culturally uh, looking back in time, you know, some of these artists are older, and so we just lost somebody, and I'll kind of let you yeah. speak. All right. The, yeah, the, yeah, I think it was, what's the day, the 21st? I think it was Thursday. 19th? 13th and 19th um david crosby passed away um who was famous for lots of things I, I i'm going to read you the beginning of an obituary um shout out dave mckenna who writes for defector and used to wa write for the washington newspapers and he's an incredible incredible he's a sports writer and uh um follow dave mckenna hmm? i follow dave mckenna andrew he's one of my favorite writers dave mckenna is great anyway this is the intro to this thing and it gives you kind of a context um for who david crosby was um it says, David Crosby was there, man. Crosby, who died Wednesday of undisclosed causes. So it was the 18th, I think. At 81 years old, was there for Mr. Tambourine Man, the Bird's hyper-jangly 1965 smash single that showed pop songs neat and stick to holding hands and puppy love to sell and thereby changed the world. The guy played at the Monterey Pop Festival, the 67 mega concert where Hendrix and Joplin were immortalized and the rock festival concept was spawned. He was with Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young at both Woodstock... Um, the decade-defining festival of peace and love in August 1969, and at Altamont, a gathering of murder and hate. Do you guys know what out? You know what Altamont was? I've heard of it, but if you want to provide me with more details, I would um, love that's something. that's the show that I mean the, that's the only one that the Rolling Stones played at. That's the one the Hell's Angels showed up at, the mm -hmm. motorcycle gang, and a lot mm -hmm. of people ended up dead or beat up. And that's that's the very 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 short version. Right? No, um, no, no. I'm, I'm I'm privy to all that. I'm just not privy to like how that all unfurled. Yeah, the, the Altamont show, the festival was portrayed in the popular culture as like the end of the free love hippie movement. Like that was that's one of those things that's like this is the stopping point. Like the Woodstock was the you know free love hippie whatever, and the Altamont was like motorcycle gangs, people getting their heads beat in. So, and david crosby was the dude screaming why as during the fade out of 1970s ohio the greatest protest song in rock history so um ohio would have also been a great pairing actually to do for our first episode it's not as famous um mm -hmm. as a song as blowing in the wind was um, but it i think tonally matches fight the power better um, or at least as well. It's it's a, it's a it's a Neil Young sounding song. Um, you, you hear that riff at the beginning of it uh, in Ohio. But, um, but yeah, David Crosby was a special dude, man. Um, if I'll put a picture of him up up on the screen just so people will know who he is. He's one of those dudes that most people would probably recognize. Yeah, you know, he's got like a bald head, like long yeah. white hair right here, a no, gigantic mustache. Okay, I know who it is. Yeah, I know you know who it is, but I mean, I'm like. Like, I, I just, oh, just, what I mean is, is that I've known who he's looked like his whole life before I've ever listened to his music. Right. They are cultural pop icons, and so they have been on my TV screen my whole life. I know yeah. what they all look like. Yeah, yeah, they're so today we're doing um two songs that are addressed to parents slash kids. Um, Teach Your Children by Crosby Stills Nash and Young and from Deja Vu in 1970 and Hey Young World by Slick Rick, which is which is gonna be a lot of fun, I think. Um I think that's that's a good good pairing. Um I love the Slick Rick song. I don't know much about it. Um I don't know much about the context. So I look forward to learning some about that. So um where are you gonna start with this? You gonna start with Slick Rick or you gonna start with Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young? Um 
I think we can start with the Slick Rick side. I think it's probably a little bit easier to explain. And, you know, out of respect for uh, Mr. Crosby, let him back clean up today. So okay. I think furl on the detail side, it kind of more unfurled it its way. Um, hey Young World is a sneaky classic hip hop record. Okay. And when I say that, it might be more, it's one of those records that might be more influential in the MC community. Mm-hmm than it is in the actual um, lexicon of okay. classic hip-hop songs or even classic Slick Rick songs. Um, if you were familiar with this album, which I know you are now, The Greatest Adventures yep. of Slick Rick. I am now, yes. This is probably the fourth biggest song off the album. Okay. So, Children's Story, Mona Lisa... And Teenage Love, which was actually the original first single, are okay. all bigger records, and I believe bigger chart-topping chart records. Mm -hmm. This might be the best record on the album. Though. I love this song. I, that's one of my notes. I, I like this song. Maybe it's hip-hop sacrilege. I like this song better than Children's Story. Like it's I no, personal, it, like that's, that's my personal taste. That's not like... I'm so not saying it's more important or anything, but like so I do like it better. So what you're saying is not sacrilege. I think the three best songs on the greatest event, which is still one of the best rap albums ever made, arguably still one of the 20 best rap albums ever made. No, if you said, Hey, young world was the best song on this album, you would not be wrong. There are people like me and Mike D who actually echo those sentiments. We okay. prefer a young world to children's story. Now in fairness to children's story, it has been so played, mm -hmm. so played. So yeah. you so rehashed, so flipped that that could have something to do with it. But you know, Hey Young World is the gem of this album. Mm -hmm. He's a very, uh, you know, um, a young Slick Rick is a very foul and raunchy man. <laughs> like, you know, um, I'm, sure, I'm sure you're familiar from um, listening to this album now. Well, there are, there are stories in here that on a comedic level um, speak about STDs inside mm -hmm. of a woman's vagina or speaks about um, um, what would be about... Um, what would be the the, the legitimate about sodomization in mm -hmm. prison? You yeah. know about yeah. um, about um, a wife providing a a mailman with fellatio while yes. the husband is at work. So right. so this is some of the content and subject matter that quite frankly makes this album innovative and brilliant. But what makes him brilliant and what gives this album a roundabout feel is is that you find out on Hey Young World that and on Teenage Love to agree that this guy has the ability to verse and to tell a story and to talk to you about any topic. And yeah. this is what I like to call a societal ills record for hip hop, okay. which is kind of rare for the time. This is, right. this is hip hop when it had become a big, this is, this is when the machismo and the, yeah. and the tougher than leather and the guys with the big gold chains and the dope ropes and the serious face and the black fist and the black power and the stone cold persona uh, comes to life and comes to popularity. So Slick Rick has a humor to him and on this record a vulnerability that you just don't get out of other MCs around the time. Like Chuck D's not talking like this with his messages. Mm -hmm. Chuck D's messages is like, why are you mad at us? Why don't you like Farrakhan? We should burn this bitch down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Slick Rick is more like... <clears throat> Talking to the, I think he's talking to the parents and talking mm -hmm. to the kids on. Here. I agree, I agree. And it's one of the few records where it's like, well, he doesn't curse on this record, which he has a penchant for doing. Yes. And the comedic value has been replaced with an intrinsic, like moral compass. Yeah, this this is a serious record. Not like it doesn't feel angry serious, but it is like sincere. I guess is the word. And. And style-wise, understand that he's doing what he does best. Well, he has his alter ego, mm -hmm. MC Ricky B, who he uses a slightly different vocal pitch for. Well, they're on this record together, so he's doing the back and forth with himself, which right. he made. Mm -hmm. And But usually, like literally nine times out of ten, when he evokes MC Ricky B, he's evoking the comedic side of things. Right. Like MC Ricky B is there to provide levity to a degree, to even to an already humorous guy. Okay. Mona Lisa is the prime example, mm. you know, of him yep. using Ricky D in comedic fashion. 
You know, what's your name? So MC Ricky D, but sorry, so hard I had to say it. I'm on the Lee. I'm sorry, I know there's no class. Please sit. let me tell you about your path. Like that guy's kind of entertaining and kind mm -hmm. of like playful. Now yeah. the MC Ricky D that's popping up on this record on the back and forth, it's almost like his conscious talking to his heart. Okay. That you makes know, sense. Kind of talking to the heart on this record. Mm -hmm. And it makes for a really beautiful moment. And it spawned, you know, in my opinion, spawned album titles such as The World Is Yours by Scarface. Right. A song, The World, the World Is, is Yours by which, I mean, everybody who knows me know, well, that's my favorite hip-hop song and what made me a lifelong hip-hop fan. Mm -hmm. So as a lifelong hip-hop fan that became a lifelong hip-hop fan because of the song The World Is Yours, imagine the way that I smiled the first time I really heard Hey Young World. You know? It's one of those like, oh, oh, okay. And that's his favorite MC. So it's like, mm -hmm. oh, well, it all makes sense now. So there's a little bit of hip hop history. And, um, and this is uh, the thing about Slick Rick. Well, he has the largest family tree. Okay. Like if you're doing a lineage, so many people spin off of his lineage because so many people have taken things from him, from Scarface to Snoop Dogg to Nas to Jay. You know, like, like everybody, he has the largest family tree. He's our actually most charismatic MC. Okay. And part of this record comes off so well is that when your most charismatic MC becomes serious, well, you can still hear that he's a great MC and songwriter. Mm -hmm. So I think this is important to the greatness of Slick Rick and his catalog in terms of his respectability as an MC, because too often he's just looked at as the storyteller, the comedian, the mm -hmm. guy with the dual vote voices. No, this and is the eye patch. Yeah, sure. The eye patch, like there's some the jewelry, the ball, the the kangles. There's so many things that come with Slick Rick that you forget. It's like no, if he was just rapping and rapping seriously, he's still better than all these guys too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, my favorite part is when he goes, "Times have changed, and it's cool to look bummy and be a dumb dummy and disrespect your mommy." Like <laughs> he only he can say that. He's getting away with that because of the British accent, but he's speaking to the crap epidemic and how things have changed in the neighborhood that he grew up in. He's from the Bronx by way of England, of course. Right. And so this record is speaking how the crack epidemic has also affected black culture. He's talking about how things have changed, you know, pretty much, mm -hmm. you know, uh, what, what's that? He says, um, and if you're over 18, I wish you'd act like an adult. Don't live in a world of hate, hate, hate. Pull yourself together and get yourself straight. Men don't steal. Hey, most don't borrow. And if you smoke crack, your kids will smoke crack tomorrow. Mm -hmm. That's where you can tell that the epidemic is taking place. He's talking about society, like where the crack epidemic is really taking his neighborhood and kind of ravaged it some. And he's kind of speaking to the young generation that he sees selling crack, but he's also talking to the parents that have allowed it to happen. That's what I mean about it. It's very beautiful. It is very touching without him coming. And think about this. He might be our most arrogant rapper, too. He doesn't come off as condescending at all. On this. No. If you were picking a negative term for any of it, it would be cheesy. I mean, it comes off kind of... It's almost, it's it, almost... It, but, he, but he pulls it off, though. Like, it's not... It doesn't. It doesn't feel that way, but that's the closest critique it, I can get. Like it doesn't feel because it's necessary. That's why you don't feel right. that way. Exactly. Because if you know anything about the time in black culture, if you know anything about the time in hip hop, it's like, well, that record is more of a necessity for us mm -hmm. than a necessity for him to make. He already has children's story and teenage love and Mona Lisa right. on this album. He already has all time. Great records. He already has all time. Great singles. He don't need this record. We need this record. And oh, I okay. think made it with that intent. That's why it's so special to me. It's like, oh, he didn't need to make that record. Like this One is the, of the guy similarities between the two songs we're covering today, too. We'll get to that in a minute. But yeah. Like yes. I heard that immediately. I was like, oh, they don't have to make a record like this. No. <laughs> no, they're not so many other things. They're 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 all made men at this point. Like all every single one of them already. Right. And so one of the beautiful things about a record is, is like when one of your biggest stars will just speak up about the things that are going on in the community. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think we all gravitate towards those things. So you feeling that way about this song is totally justified. Every time it comes on, it makes me feel a certain type of way. 
but in a positive way. Yeah, it makes me smile to listen to. Like it's one of those yeah. things. Like, and I didn't obviously didn't grow up with this song, but like the first time I heard it, I mean, I, when I listened to all the whole record and the whole album, I caught it a little bit, like enough to recognize that this is the one that you said Nas pulled hate the world is yours from, but mm-hmm. didn't like pay attention to it that closely. But I've listened to it on the loop the last two or three days or whatever, and it just makes me smile when it comes on. It does. It's just. It's just a. But it's 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 a happy song without being like clown happy. Like it's not like happy. It's, it's but it's but it has a. It's just uplifting. Well, some well some of them well well what he's saying is so real too mm-hmm. that even if the message to you know look out for yourself comes off as corny, it's hard when you when he's saying stuff like men don't steal, hey must don't borrow, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, what it, what's it, what it, bad company? And now you've been framed. Your parents are hurting, hurting and ashamed. When a black man gets locked up, the focus is always on what the black man did to get locked up and mm-hmm. what the black man is going through. That brief little bar where he goes, your parents are hurting, hurting and ashamed. Oh, that's piercing on a level mm-hmm. because we don't talk like that when we're yeah. talking about the bad company and the the bad company that young black men keep that lends them to getting in, in trouble. Well, we don't speak to what the parents feel. Yeah. No, it's always like, and, like and, it, he it, illustrates it, that in children's story too. Like, like the, it's not just the main character, but the, you have some of the, you get the wider angle lens of the people around him in that song too. Well, understand this, this, and this is his biggest contribution. Well, nobody told stories with that wide lens view before, but everybody did after. And that's yep. why he the largest family tree. Those full-fledged stories that Scarface and Biggie mm-hmm. and Nas and Kendrick and all these other great storytellers are so n- renowned for, the wide-scope lens that they see through, the ability to pull from different people's emotions, different mm-hmm. characters within the framework of the story, this guy. That comes from him. Okay. Directly. They're not doing it before them. The stories before are straight forward, up and down, the main character and what the main character sees. The message by Grandmaster Flash and Furious Five's a great example. Melly Mel. Melly Mel's perspective of that is of a child in the ghetto. Mm-hmm. Slickery taking the child in the ghetto and he's bringing the family and the neighborhood along for the story. It's a news story. Like, it's a news story. You hear not just the main character story, but also... Like, on children's story, there's the police officer, there's the dope fiend, there's the pregnant lady. Right. Right. So, the storyline to this story is the family dynamic. So, Mm -hmm. mom, dad, brother, sister are are all characters in the narrative. Okay. Most mom and dad. And so, mom and dad's feelings are being imparted on into this song, like almost like in an inception type of level. It's like okay. there's enough jewels that sound like, and it's like, as a parent, it's like, oh, I can look back and look at some of these things. And it's like, yeah, you know, like my daughter not chose bad company, like getting in trouble. But I'll tell you what, like <clears throat> on the flip side of it, my daughter has been choosing people, quite frankly, that aren't as good as her. Mm-hmm. And I can see how it's hurt her. And so as a parent that I'm hurt. You know what I mean? And so when he says your parents are hurting, it's like, oh, no, you have to be a parent to understand that bar. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. There aren't rap songs like that floating around with the 80s. There are rap songs floating around like that now. No, they're not. Like, I am obviously don't have the wide angle context that you you do of like the history of of the genre, but it it does feel still very original. Like for in the context of the stuff that I know, you're, you're so you're saying that Slick Rick is the the inflection point, I guess, for storytellers. The way that Rakim was for bars and the way the, they're put together is that kind of yes. Kind of deal. See, but how about this with Rakim? Well, he has Cool G Rap and Kane and KRS One, and so if somebody, I know people who prefer Kane. Mm-hmm. I know people who. Pre- I don't know many people who prefer G-Rap or KRS, but they're right there lyrically with Rockin'. Okay. He's just putting them in the best songs and making the best songs. Of the okay. Bunch. I see what you're saying. Like Rick's storytelling ability. Oh, he's more of a one-on-one. He's more of a one-on-one for his okay. storytelling at the time than Rockin' is for his lyricism. Because like, at least with Rockin', when Kane came out, 
people was like, no, nah, we got somebody that can fuck with Rakim on the, on the lyric shit. And, mm-hmm. and when you listen to Kane, it's yeah. like, oh, no, I don't know if he's better, but he's, he's, he's up pick, there. Yeah. If you want to pick that guy, there's nothing wrong with that at all. Right. But with Rick, Rick and storytelling, no, nah, it's Rick. It's you guys. And everybody else. You guys. And there's nobody that really comes along that really even takes the mantle from him. I want you to understand that it's like, <clears throat> I mean, it probably wasn't Andrew. I mean, you know how big of a Nas fan I am. It probably wasn't until he made Rewind that I said he was a better storyteller than Slick Rick. And he's mm-hmm. my favorite rapper. And by then, he had made some of the best rap stories you ever heard. And it wasn't until Rewind and I was like, okay, now we can, because it just that's just too good. Mm-hmm. But no. that's that's how great Slick Rick is a storyteller. Is that I didn't think that Nas was the best storyteller ever until he told a fucking story backwards. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I'm his fan and biggest supporter. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Yeah. So that's how strong Slick Rick grip is on the storytelling aspect and how long he had it. How about this? Nobody was the best at something for as long as he was the best storyteller in your history of this. We're celebrating 50 years of hip hop. Nobody was the greatest at something as long as he was the greatest storyteller because it was about 15 years of that. Wow. That's, that is a long time. And be. most of it is off of one album. That's how great he is. Most of wow. him having a title is off this one album. It's these songs, though. It's these stories that stay with you. It's mm-hmm. these timeless things. Hey, young world. Think about how empowering that is. Hey, world. The world is yours. Like, you don't have to sell crap, you don't have to hang out with bad company. The world is yours, not this neighborhood. See, that's what I mean. And world, this is yeah. where it ends. Mm-hmm. Well, when you're in those types of communities, in these types of uh, inner city, urban, I hate the word urban, these inner city I know um, environments where the populace is brown and brown skin, you can feel trapped. Okay. I know my whole goal from the moment that I pulled up on West Boulevard and Babies Ford, Andrew, was to get untracked. Because I was very clear that I was living in a box, in a hole, you know? Okay. And so him saying the world is yours, that's what I mean, the view being wide. It's like, oh, it's bigger than these blocks you live on. You don't have to sit up there and hang with such and such and go down the path that they went down. The world is yours. Not the neighborhood, not the Bronx, not Brooklyn, not Queens, not Manhattan. The world is yours. The view. It's part of what makes him so special. His views always been wide. Whether he's telling a nasty ass story about an Indian girl, <laughs> whether he's saying treat her like a prostitute, or whether he's saying the world is yours, his view is always encompassing and large. And this is obviously the most thoughtful record he ever did that mm-hmm. shared that view. And because of that, if you told me it was the best song that he had ever done, I wouldn't argue with you because none of his other songs, except for Children's Story, even come close content or message wise. Right. Yeah. It, it's interesting. It was, it was always fascinating to hear like, cause the children's story and the song were the first two that we talked about, um, both on the episodes, but we talked about both of them, at least referenced both of them on the children's story episode. Um, I might put a link in there right now too. So you can go jump to that when you get done with this. Cause we did another one with, um, children's story and Folsom prison blues by Johnny cash, but it's, both of those stories, the children's story, even though the children's story is telling the story of a dark situation, is still, I, I'm not going to stretch to call it uplifting, but it is told in a, hey guys, don't do that kind of way. Um, and like, don't make this bad first step, which led to all this other, all these other dominoes falling. And this one's kind of a, this one's a positive one too. So when you said that, I shouldn't listen to the it's the greatest adventures of Slick Rick is the name of the record. Yes, the greatest um, adventures of Slick Rick. That it was dirty and not to listen to it around my children or wife. I was like, really? Like this guy, the one that's like saying, "Hey, young world, the world is yours," and like maybe like don't don't start robbing people because then that'll lead to a bunch of nasty things. That that guy is. And yeah, and yeah, he is. I mean, the first song he, comes he, on. Let's let's say he contains multitudes. Yes. Oh, he's a very multifaceted like thinker and person. And mm-hmm. how about this? There are so many personalities on the Greatest Adventures of Slick Rick that the grown-up me has always said the Slick Rick suffer from any borderline personality disorder. Mm-hmm. 
Like, cause or, or maybe he, he's just inventing characters. Like, I mean, it, either of those things could be true. I only ask that because of the startling, uh, <clears throat> the startling, tenuous and quiet nature when he speaks and when he interviews. Like these characters, mm -hmm. when you were to, if you were to speak to him, you would never believe that he's the author of these characters. And I'm saying that because I've met him at Manifest in high school mm -hmm. once too. He's actually a very quiet, low key, humble guy. Yeah. And so <clears throat> some people, when they have mental health issues, and it's not to say that he does, I know I do, but when you grab the pen, you start creating those things that exist in your mind that you're not so willing to share. Yeah. Because it's a way to vent them. Sure. People may look at you. Right. So there is some vent in the personalities. <clears throat> I say that for meeting him. And haven't been watching his interviews my whole life because mm -hmm. he's nothing like the characters he portrays. Hmm. Yeah. Huh. And, and I mean, that is true. I'm not necessarily for David Crosby, David Crosby. I mean, we're, we're sort of focusing on him or we'll focus on him, but, the, but there are, there are four members of the band, but he, he is one of those guys that strikes me anyway, as being that guy, whether he's in a band, whether he's by himself, whether he, he's, he's just that, He's just that guy because he is famously like curmudgeonly and grouchy and like, I mean, he was all of those things in interviews and in his personal life in his bands and like all, all of those things. So it's interesting. That's, that's a, an interesting contrast to that. Um, Slick Rick, you're saying sort of invented characters to, to portray or to talk about things that needed to be talked about. And Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young did it like the, from the other side, I guess. So this is just an interesting contrast. When you put it that way. Yes. And, and neither of those things are bad things. It's not, um, in, in many ways, it seems from what you have said about slick Rick as like a human being, like in your interaction with him, he requires things. Mm-hmm. But he's a really nice guy, really easy to talk to. Like when I met him, he's like, oh, it's like, nice to meet you. Da, 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 da. It's like your rap album was the first rap album I ever listened to. He's like, oh, he's like, man, thanks for telling me that. Da, da, da. What's your favorite song? Da, 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 da. Like, I can't make up my mind some days, but you know. And so yeah. we'll let you talk to him like that. LL was the same way when I met him. Those guys also come from an era, too, where it's like they they changed rap, quite frankly. Yeah. And they changed the money for the people who came after them. Oh, yeah. LL, LL specifically, yeah. Yeah, and so, you know, you'll find, I hate to say it, you'll find those guys much more humble and easier to speak to, you know? So that's not to say he doesn't have some diva quality to him. He's fucking slick Rick, but, you know. Everybody on that level would have a little bit, I would imagine. Right, when you're on that level, there's there's everybody's got a little kink in them somewhere about something. You don't get, <laughs> you don't get that far without being particular. Yeah, I think that's what people forget sometimes when it's like, oh, well, you know, such and such is kind of a dick. It's like, were they a dick or were they particular? And, and David Crosby is one of the most infamous, let's call him particulars of of, of music history. Like he he is a famous. He's, been, he, he's like Paul Simon level, like prickly kind of. He's been called a dick by his contemporaries. Yes, he has. <laughs> yes, by by a, by a lot of different people. Yes, um, we'll, we'll talk more about that in a minute. But I did want. And, and we've kind of like hinted at this when we talked about his multiple, I, I hesitate again to, like you said, to use the word multiple personalities, because that's a diagnosis that we're obviously not qualified to make, but his multiple right. personas in his, that are like, or characters, I guess, that he's presenting in his stories. Well, how about this? So many rappers create multiple characters, but not as well as this guy. When I'm saying yeah. there's something about it that strikes me as mental health-ish, potentially, and I'm being careful when I'm saying that too. I'm saying that in a complimentary way to how his artistic genius is in this guy is pulling off these characters mm -hmm. better than everybody else. Frighteningly, at the, at the very least, he's a better actor than everybody. <laughs> got I mean, there's on his comeback album, The Art of Storytelling, mm -hmm. there is literally a whole song dedicated to his fetish for anal sex. <laughs> And it's literally so, so th that goes actually some of the way to answering this question, too, which is how do we square the person who said, hey, young world, the world is yours with the person who went to prison for shooting somebody for like, like, I mean, and it is very clear that he contains multiple um, and, and 
this is not putting it all in slick rick we all contain multitudes we all have we all have our good sides and we all have our demons and we all we all have those things right like everybody has things that set them off and everybody has things that um sides of them that they would rather not show the world right and sides of them that they are more okay with um it's it's just interesting to see like because I, I looked it up he was 23 i think when he released at least when he when the album was released but this is this is like some wise old head advice right this is some wise old man sitting on the stoop talking to the the youngins walking by but he's really not an old person when he's telling this story at all okay so people have to understand the most um and this is a hip-hop thing. I don't know if this is a pop thing. Maybe you can help me with this. Our most socially conscious and impactful albums mm -hmm. were mostly written by our artists and our legends before they turned 25 years old. Yeah. We're hearing something like Death Certificate by mm -hmm. Ice Cube, which is literally like... Like, I don't know if anybody's broken down what it means to be a ghetto child on in South Central Compton, just that section of the way that Ice Cube does on Death Certificate with the perspective and the analysis, you know? Okay. Andrew, he's not, he's like 22. When Nas is making mm -hmm. Illmatic, he's 17 to 19 years old when he's making that. These dire situations that mm -hmm. we're placed in environmentally, they age us in so many right. ways. And you can hear it in the music because here's the reality of the matter. It's like, as a grown man now, I go back and listen to some of the stuff that impacted me. And I forget as a kid that those guys were just a few years older than me. They were fucking kids too. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Like yep. I'm, I'm going to the words of this 21 year old when I'm 13. And then mm -hmm. I, but then when I'm 25, I'm thinking like, damn, he was 21 when he said that. Yep. What is it? In society, like <clears throat> we have this thing in our society, and hip hop is a purveyor of it. Well, situations force us to grow up real, real fast, right? And some of the personalities mm -hmm. comes from, I believe, the trauma. Yeah, and lose make me want to holler, throw up both my hands. Yep, God, I love you that. Song. Oh, that's one of the best songs ever written and ever yeah, made. Amen. That's that's that. If if I were forced to name. The, like the single best song that's ever been done. I, I wouldn't, th that would be one of the ones I would consider for sure. No, like that's that's... Up there. Yeah, no, inner city blues is all the way up there for me too. It's, it's probably, it's definitely in my top 10. It might be higher. Like I haven't like gone through the list and like thought about it for serious um, in a long time, but, but that's definitely one of those songs. That's just like, you can, the, the, that like Marvin's voice is just yeah and, he's and how how it delivers that it's just in the melody but, but it goes back to what you were saying that these kids I mean I don't want to call Slick Rick a kid he's older than us but like like kids when he's making these songs um oh. and it is has grown up more and faster than a lot of people in the wider world honestly I would say most not that people don't form bands younger um but you usually see the sweet spot of musicianship like that where they take off between 25 and 30 usually like that's the and i mean crosby crosby for example was, was like 28 i think when deja vu the this album that he the teacher short i mean he had been in the birds before and all, a bunch of other stuff too but um this this album though that that has the song we are going to cover today he was 28 so or 29 maybe no and i just want to say something societally and then and then we can flip because of All what right. we go through inner city environments there is a familial process of rushing us out the home too because mm -hmm. here's the thing because we're living in dire circumstances well our parents don't want to stay in there longer than they have to so there's a rush for the parents to grow us up and get us off to college too and when i mean it's real i'm going to tell you what i mean and you know me well, I moved in this area so that my daughter could be a normal child. Right. Do you know how many black women, Andrew, listen to what I'm saying. Do you know how many black women have told me that my daughter needs to mature some more or needs to grow up some more? And they don't know what the fuck they're talking about. They're just traumatized and scarred. You understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, we do that even in our mind in the black community. The rhetoric is very, very adult 
about removing her from the environment. I be telling motherfuckers, I'm like, no, she's, she's a child. Right. She's a child. She's fine. The only problem with my 15-year-old versus your 15-year-old is that my 15-year-old is 15 and your 15-year-old is 25. That's not my fucking problem. You shouldn't have grown <laughs> your child up. Yeah. My kid can stay here till she's fucking 25 because, well, not being funny, that's what white people do to make sure that their kids are successful if need be. Stay close, yep. Stay close as long as you need to. And so there are some problems in the black community. And this is that inner city angst that I'm talking about mm -hmm. that when you put it into a musical form and you give it to the kids, well, it's bad for our community, but it's part of what makes the music so great. Mm -hmm. And that's some of the conflict there. It's like, yeah, oh, no, no. Holler. Yep. <laughs> but it's wonderful for the music. You're going to get a Hey Young World. You're going to get an inner city blues. But you're also going to get black women who have been traumatized and scarred by it, trying to tell me I need to grow my kid up when they need to grow up. I have to be careful. This isn't, I mean, it is sort of a rest in peace, David Crosby. Um, you were amazing, but also he's not the only one in the band. Um, he's also not the one who wrote the song either. So I have to kind of walk that line, I guess. But So do you have a particular place you want to start? I'm familiar with some of their catalog now. You know, since we've been doing this and I've done a couple of digs on them, but nothing too heavy. This song, much like Hey Young World, appears to be kind of an outlier song. Like this is not what they normally do. Would that be yeah. affirmative? Um, well, this this song is much more. It was written by Graham Nash, um, who is uh, the Nash and Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. Obviously, he was in a band in the UK. He's the British one of the four. Um he he was was in a band called the Hollies, um, like Holly Leaves or Holly Trees, the Hollies. Um, and this was a song that was rejected from them. Like they, he wrote it while he was a member of that band, and um, they decided not to record it. Um, he's Graham Nash is also the one um, that we have discussed previously. That he's the guy that Joni Mitchell wrote a case of you about. Yes, um, he, he's that guy. So again, this is multi-faceted personality right because this is a very sweet song it's a very i mean it's not when you dig into the lyrics it's not as sweet as you would think on on the surface but it's it's very cheerful it's very definitely very cheerful sounding um yeah. and you have that guy but you also you have the can we say son of a bitch son of a bitch that Joni mitchell's singing about in, in that song too so you have we, we contain multitudes we have lots of different not personalities but different facets to our personality so yes so there, there's lots of pieces of context for this um i don't want this i want to make sure we're, we're talking about the song too and not just the history of of these guys but really 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 quickly there's four guys crosby david crosby stephen stills graham nash neil young um they all they didn't live together, but they lived around each other in the Laurel Canyon neighborhood. And that's outside LA, I think. Um, it's definitely in Southern California. Um, but that that was part of like a, it wasn't a commune, but it was like a neighborhood that a lot, I mean, the doors like Jim Morrison lived there and Robbie Creer. Um, Johnny oh. Mitchell lived there. The members of the Burge, Roger McGuire, um, McGuinn, 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 um, lived there. The Mamas and the Papas, Cass Elliott, those guys, those people, well, Buffalo I Springfield. Um, so, this it was a a mishmash of folky rock people. I mean, the Doors weren't really folk rock, and David Crosby actually in modern David Crosby, like in his seventies, was shit posting about Jim Morrison and the Doors on Twitter. That's one of those other famous curmudgeon things. Um, but so David Crosby was originally a member of the a band called the Birds, B Y R D S. Um, he, which is turn, 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 and Mr. Tambourine Man, as as the as McKenna said earlier. Um, Stephen Stills and Neil Young were in a band called Buffalo Springfield, um, among other things. I mean, they also had solo stuff and did stuff together. But like, that's that's the where they were most famous before this thing. And Nash was and Graham Nash was in the Hollies. So this is kind of, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young is kind of a super group. I think you would think of like famous members of multiple bands all coming together to do a thing. Um, Crosby, Stills, and Nash 
uh, had a band before Neil Young started too. Like they oh, had a, a thing back. with them. Like Wu Tang done backwards. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So it's, they're some of the most famous, and I, I want to use the word precise with them because their music is beautiful because it is precise. And most, a lot of the music that comes from the folk rock blues is kind of messy. Like, um, it sounds like just a guy sitting, like Dylan stuff, like a guy sitting there playing guitar. And if you have a couple mistakes in there, just kind of roll on with it or whatever. This, well, this is, um, and David Crosby particularly was one of those, like, that's one of the ways he was a dick. They, they were like super, 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 like everything. Right. You can hear it in the harmonies in these songs. Like they are, it sounds like, if you've never heard Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young sing, you should go listen to the song now. But it sounds almost like it's the same person singing four parts at once. It's it's the blend of it is is it's not something that you've really heard before and the harmony they're singing is a little different too um nash is the one who's got that high part on it um and that that note the high note is the one that differentiates their harmonies from a lot of other bands too right like it's a very specific chord they're singing when you're saying high note are you saying high note like soprano or like tenor I'm saying like falsetto. So somewhere in between the two, probably. Okay. Okay. Right. Somewhere in between. Right. Okay. Um, Crosby. Well, that's hard to, well, that's hard to do in rhythm with another, with other bandmates. So, so the, and, the and they do with four. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the rhythmic pull off of that, when you're explaining that, no, that's hard. Yeah. Like people don't understand it's like, <clears throat> you're not being funny because I'm black. You know, we're always talking we're black. We have rhythm. It's like, yeah, yeah, I get it. You know how hard it is to like, harmonize with somebody else who has rhythm though like yeah. you have rhythm and somebody else having rhythm doesn't mean y'all are operating on the same rhythm yeah and they were famously operating on the same wavelengths um like you, you can hear that and like you can hear when people are vibing like that and, mm -hmm. and not and, and they definitely were you know i mean so the first thing that caught me about this record mm -hmm. like you gave me a list of songs of theirs mm -hmm. and i went there first actually because even title-wise, I was like, that's the outlier. But in, in not even the, the name of the song, when I heard the melody, I was like, we're doing Hey Young World. As soon as the melody came on. Because yeah. actually, I think <clears throat> it's always hard to juxtapose a hip-hop melody mm -hmm. off a machine bass, off of Clyde Stubblefield's drums being put into yep. a freaking machine to an actual live band playing. But the rhythmic nuance of both of these records is immediately mm -hmm. where I realized these songs go together. And yep. then when I listen and in the message, I'm like, well, this is a flawless victory. And you usually, <laughs> pick song, you know, and I yeah. usually give the hip hop songs, but when you gave me that, I was like, Oh, I'm like, this is perfect. I know what we're doing. I was perfect, like, I knew yeah. exactly what we were doing after I heard teach the, ch teach the children uh, one time. I was like, oh, I already know. Yeah. And and when you you said that I didn't I hadn't heard in Hey Young World in a long time and I played them back to back and I was like oh that's yeah I had the same reaction like this is this is exactly right exactly yeah, right right yeah right. this is one of those pairings that I feel like was kind of supposed to happen it's like yeah. I know we're doing, you know posthumously from losing an icon and a great musician and singer mm -hmm. and and writer but it's like no nah, that shit fits now let's get to the message and the theme and the actual mm -hmm. lyrics of this song. Yeah. Now, who, how, where would you put them? I mean, you bought up, you know, a case of you. So um, that would be songwriting at its peak. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's that the very top level. Yeah, that's top level songwriting. Where would you put the songwriting on here? On this? This particular yeah. song is definitely below that. But it's not, I mean, it's not bad songwriting. It's, um, remember we talked with Davey Matthews about the groove being the point and not yeah. the the words necessarily not that the words are bad just that's not and i would say the harmonies are the point here like like the and and that's not to say that the songwriting is bad or inferior um they asked um famously uh, a few years ago that spin magazine asked crosby like what are his they they do like that with artists saying like what are your five indispensable albums or whatever like the one five that you keep going back to two of them were steely dan albums Gaucho and Aja, Asia, Aja, I don't know how he says it, um, which are 
which fits with Crosby because those are very like obsessively precise albums too. Um, and, but the third one on his list was Joni Mitchell's blue, um, which he produced by the way, by the, That's another one of those crossovers between the right. bands that Crosby produced um, Joni Mitchell's album. Um, but he says it's the, probably the best singer songwriter album that's ever been made. And like, I mean, there are oh, others that are up there too, but like, I can't argue with that. That's it's something it's like else. that. Yeah. The whole, and the whole record's that way all the way through. Oh no, I need to listen song. to it. I know you told me to, and I'd actually went and listened to a piece of it, but I'd probably need to sit down one day and listen to it from beginning to end. Yeah, it's it's a it's a headphones album. Like sitting. Yeah, oh, it strikes me like well, well, she strikes me that way. Just mm -hmm. just inherently, every time I hear her, it's like oh, I need to sit down and just do it all at once. Yeah. It's like I, I mean, I, I used her to bring up Virginia Woolf. It's almost like well, there is no like leaving a Virginia Woolf poem halfway in and then understanding what the fuck is going on now, is yeah. it? Yeah, no, you're you're gonna be lost. No, like the songs on Blue. Not to get too far off, but I mean, we are. I mean, all these people know each other and they're all friends and they're all, it's all overlapping. Um, the songs work as independent pieces. Like they, you can listen to a case of you or California or, I mean, any of those songs like independently. Um, but the effect that they have when you put them all together is you see them as it's one of those albums that works both and with individual pieces and as like one longer piece of music too. It all kind of connects as it goes. And right. Deja Vu, actually the album that the song comes from does that has that kind of feel to it too. Um, not to the level Joni's does, I don't think, but it's um, Deja Vu is still a really, really, really good, good record. This is also 1970. So it's in right in the heart of all of that, um, all of that stuff. You were asking, I think like, where would I, contextualize their songwriting and their um stuff i think their songwriting i don't even think they would say their songwriting is on the same level as Joni mitchell's like they i don't think they would say that either um there are very few people in the world that would say their songwriting that would even say out loud that their songwriting is on no, it's, it's a be. really really short list yeah um, it's a short um think of if you've never heard in crosby stills and nash or crosby stills nash and young um if you're listening to this episode and you haven't heard them, think of them like halfway between um, the Beatles and like Bob Dylan. All right. Those are the, um, they, Bob Dylan was one of those people that had a kind of a prickly relationship with them too. Bob Dylan also put them on like oh, the birds on. He will, he, he, Bob Dylan wrote Mr. Tambourine man. Like he's, he's the one who wrote that song and, oh. and they played a version of it. Um, and everybody knows heard them play other. it, and he was like, "Oh, that's actually really good, guys. You can keep like rap. Everybody know each other some type of way. Yeah, yeah. It's just yeah. like rap. Yeah, especially in this era. Like they're they're all like specifically talking about this era right. too. Because every time that you talk about this era, mm -hmm. we can just start piecing everybody together, and they start falling out of each other's studio and songwriting yep. credits in the sky. Yeah, yeah." Exactly. So, they produced each other's albums. They wrote songs for each right. other. The song Our House, um, that's also on Deja Vu. I think it's on Deja Vu. I'm pretty sure. Um, it was Graham Nash writing about Joni Mitchell and their house together. Like, I mean, they're all, so it all kind of fits. Um, like Wu-Tang in reverse. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. Joni Mitchell would be the Jizza. She's the writer. Mm -hmm. She's the lyrical sharp one. Yeah. yeah. Yep, yep. And the so, quiet one. Mm -hmm. yeah she is very quiet but she also yeah. famously had problem i don't know exactly the genesis of this i just know like when she was playing her most recent shows Joni had i think I, i'm going to butcher this i'm sorry i think she had a stroke and so she's been kind of out of the public eye for a while and she's performed a couple times in the last year or two um just sitting in a chair with a bunch of other friends and musicians and whatever and she still has she doesn't have the high voice but she still has the voice and still has the command just sitting there on the chair um but i remember reading during that time that she and bob dylan were not like they were kind of not great friends i don't know why maybe it's maybe it's a competitive thing i don't know I or, maybe, it's or maybe right. it's maybe it's a thing where people were talking about him being like the greatest songwriter or one of the great songwriters and not talking about her um which and she if she is 
not better than that. She is certainly on that level for sure. She is one of the greats, great, 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 greats. Typically when a man on that level and a woman on that level don't get along, it's because the man's insecure about the woman, not the other way around. And that she's would be a my guess. And that's my guess. And, and, and she's better. Like it's this, this, say Joni Mitchell yeah, better than yeah. you. Like this, no. Like saying Paul McCartney's better than you. Great. I mean, like that's that's not saying much of it. He's better than everybody. Like right. That's that's what everybody. I'm. So so that problem is probably his ego, the male yeah. ego. It's like yeah, Joni's better than you. Like in everything that you do, she's better at it. So yeah, and, and, and that's not again. That's not a shameful thing. It's not. No, and it's um, not like you don't operate in the same realm as her, but you're not her. Not even the me, and I like Bob Dylan shit, but yeah, I do too. But like, it's not. It's he didn't have her voice. He didn't have the voice. He just he just doesn't. No. Like, and that's and that's fine. Nobody. He's has not the songwriter that but, she is either. Or as beautiful as a songwriter he is. Right. She's supreme. Yeah. yeah. So I to think, so think of so maybe they would be insulted by me putting the Dylan on one end and the Beatles on the other end of the spectrum. You can put Neil Young on the other end. It's the same general thing, mm -hmm. like the folk rock one guy with the guitar. On one end, the Beatles on the other end. That's basically where you're triangulating. You also, on Deja Vu, you also hear songs, not in this song, Teach Your Children, but all, in some of the other ones, you hear some of like the psychedelic guitar rock. You see a little of the Zeppelin creep, creeping in there. I would probably say they're not influenced by Zeppelin as much as they're pulling from the same influences from the Yardbirds and Cream and those people. But there's a little bit of that in there, too. I can see that. I'm, can I can I share some of my thoughts about what? Yeah, of I course, see? of course. I was just trying to give people who had not heard it like some kind of frame of reference. No, 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 no. Those those are great frames. That was great frames for me too because um, you saying that actually solidified some of my thoughts about what made mm -hmm. me pick this record. Okay. Because part of my rationale wasn't just the Hey Young World, and this is why I wanted to ask you about the lyrics. Yeah. And and follow me where I'm going with this. When I heard the lyrics, like listen to them, much like you, the first thing I noticed is like. The focus is on the melodies. Mm -hmm. But what I would tell you is, is that if another rap artist from Slick Rick's time were to try to do Hey Young World, writing-wise, it would go the way that they did it. Okay. That's what I mean about Slick Rick has the personality, and he's got the persona, and he's got the British accent. So Hey Young World has a feel that I don't think any other great rapper from that mm -hmm. time could give. This feeling that they're giving, that straightforward songwriting approach, mm -hmm. that's that. Well, that's that's right down a Run BMC KRS One like Alley. You know what I thought about when I thought of this song? Sure. It's like that, and that's the way it is. Mm. It's straightforward to you like that, but the melody and the beat still catch you and keep you going. Da, 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 da. Boom, boom, boom. Mm -hmm. Boom, boom, boom. Well, this melody kind of keeps you like, oh, hey. And it doesn't have that. It's like that the way it is. But the approach is, listen, you who are on the road must have a code that you can live by. Mm -hmm. That's bars. Yep. Those are straight 80s bars. So what I'm trying to tell you is that part of why Hey Young World is so good because Slick Rick pulled it off. But if somebody were to approach that subject matter, it would come off this way. Teach your, teach your children well. Their father's hell did slowly go by. Mm -hmm. Oh no, that's straight out of an 80 straightforward rap lyric book. And so yeah. this would be a Chuck D would write something like this. Okay. Cool. Like, and Run would write right. something like KRS one would write something like this. But but there is still like tell tell your kids the right thing to do, right? I mean you have that yeah. kind of I'm using in positive MCs and right. straightforward guys to kind of relay the message of like mm -hmm. how this would transition in the hip hop world. You yeah. know, mm -hmm. straightforward melodic approach. It's like I thought about the melody, and that's why I bought up Run DMC. It's like, no, I could see Run DMC doing a teach your children and making yeah. it mm -hmm. to the point that you're actually missing the words the same way on it's like that, the way mm -hmm. you're actually missing the message. Yep. Yeah. 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 The, the song is cool um, for many reasons, but it's, it sort of has two people talking to each other too. Like, because the first half of the song, there's, it has three pieces, right? It has the first verse. The first verse and the last verses are basically identical, more or less. Um, or the part that comes right before the that long chorus part um, and the part that comes right after are... And, uh, but they're inverted. 
one's like teach your children well and one's teach your parents well. So like one's addressed to the parents talking to the kids and one's addressed to the kids talking to the parents. So it's the same thing. But in and then in the middle part, like the middle eight, I guess you would call it, um, or maybe even the bridge, it has um like two people almost talking to each other. They're like echoing it sounds like an echoing effect in the middle. Um, but they're you, you've seen the poems, right? They're like in two columns that have that you can read it down one column and then down the other column and it makes sense, or you can read it straight across all the way and it makes sense too. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Okay. Um and there's a name for it that I couldn't think of and I didn't look it up. So this is not quite a parents just don't understand record, but it is right. a like you you have two groups of people or two people talking to each other in that middle eight and they're not really hearing each other. Like they're, they're saying what they're saying um, back and forth, but they're, it's not like in slick Rick song where you have like those multiple people talking, but they're like responding to each other and picking up on each other and, and continuing the line or whatever. These, two, these are like two things going on at parallel that are not, it's like, it's like, a like you say, you say the parents say these things to the kids and the kids aren't listening. And the kids say these things to the parents and the parents aren't listening and they're not really hearing what the other yeah. person is saying. There's no call and response mm -hmm. like the Slick Rick record. Yeah. Like there's the call, there's the response. That middle ground is kind of like, it's kind of like a um, gray area, mm -hmm. um, muffled sounds, miscommunication, yeah. flag on play, malfunction, breakdown. But yeah. I think, I mean, I kind of felt that was intentional. It was absolutely on purpose. Like they're showing that. Well, well, yeah. Well, when you spoke about how precise they were, I was like, well, then that was like, well, then that was intentional. Oh yeah. Absolutely on purpose. Yeah. I, I don't know this because I never heard the Holly's version of it or the demo of it or whatever. It's like the original, because I think they probably recorded a demo and said, I'm not going to use that. My guess is that the original version had the the part that you quoted um, and the teacher children will um, like the first verse and the last verse, but not the middle part. Or I would imagine that Crosby and the rest of the guys added either the whole middle section or at least the echo part in the middle section. Right. Like, I, like again, this is purely speculation and somebody can probably get in the comments and tell me that I'm wrong or, you know, we can interview Neil Young and he can tell me I'm wrong. That'd be great. Um, but, uh, <laughs> um, but, but that, that's how it feels like as, as a songwriter craft feels like to me. Anyway, I, I can get with one of that. You know, a lot of what we do here is forecasting and prognosticating because we were like small time artists at one point. Mm -hmm. And so we uh, were obviously did not reach any uh, Crosby, <laughs> Stills and Nash or no. Slick Rick. Bob Dylan, definitely not Joni Mitchell Heights, even though we're both great writers. Mm -hmm. But I think that you know there is some insight to what you are sharing right, mm -hmm. right, right there. Like because I can feel some of that. And and some of the fun is in the not knowing that for certain. Yeah. yeah. It's better of it is some of the fun of what we do. Is it's like, I don't know for certain, but the artist in me certainly feels that way. Yeah. And that's what the regular it's, person gravitates towards too. Yeah, and, and that's one of those things that I hear um famous authors and famous writers and whatever say all the time. Um, John Green is the one I heard say it most recently, but lots of people say versions of this, that, that you can write a thing or make an, an art like a thing and put it out into the world. But when you put it out into the world, it doesn't really belong to you anymore. It is like you made it, but what people do with it and what people, how they interpret it is not really your, you can say like I meant it like this, but it might mean something completely different to you, and that's fine. Like it's it's how it's the intersection between the words on the page or the melody in your ear and the other person's experience and how that hits each other. Hey, Fifty Cent used to always say, "It's the music business. If you want to make music for yourself, go in your basement, make the music that you want to make, and never put it out." Mm -hmm. But if you want to choose to make stuff for the masses, for consumption, when you're in the music business, mm -hmm. you're making music that other people are going to feel differently about than you. Yeah, and that's fine. Analyze. That is literally what it is there for. You, artists create 
nine times out of ten to share with the world and get a response. Mm -hmm. The point of it is to trigger an emotion, a right. feeling, a response. It is why the arts exist. It does not exist for you to be like, this is mine and it makes me feel right. good. It's so, for the purposes of translating an emotion from here to there, right? That's excellent. I couldn't have said it better myself. Yes. Translate the emotions, whether it's musically, whether it's on canvas. Yeah, there's thousands of ways to do it. But thousands of ways to do it. But you can hear that's that's one of those things like Crosby still like nobody does harmonies like this. Like it's not and I tried to figure out like what the actual chords they're singing because the high harmony is not is not a normal like like the chord they're singing, like normal chords are one, three, five, like the root and the third and the fifth. Um and they're singing that sort of, but there's another thing in there too that's, that nobody else does. And so when you, it's one of those things where you hear this harmony, because even the birds didn't do it, when, uh, the band, and Buffalo Springfield didn't do it, the bands that these people are coming from. Um, you hear them, and you're, it's one of those, you know how you talk about, you hear Chuck D's voice isn't like immediately identifiable, or Tupac's voice isn't immediately identifiable. Hear that harmony like that particular chord and those so voices like, together, that's immediate. That's Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Like, at oh, least, you know, maybe Young yeah. too. But like you know, what it's just one of those things that you hear. Those it's it's not even their voices individually are good, but when they're together, they're something something else. There's something almost right. no, magical no. about it. You want to know what? That's funny that you bring that up about them vocally because what I find popular culture music wise. Mm -hmm. Is that I can usually identify it by the sound even more than the voice. Mm -hmm. Like when Joni Mitchell shit come on, it's like, well, I'm hearing it from the melody and from the from from the instrumentation mm -hmm. more than from vocally before she hits the mic. Like when the Beatles shit plays, I'm like, that's the Beatles. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like the instrumentation mm -hmm. of it. And so the, Ringo has uh, Ringo gets sh shit talked about him all the time as being like a not technically brilliant drummer but he's one of the most instantly recognizable drummers like you hear that ringo beat and you're like that's that's ringo that's ringo right so. no it was just interesting to hear you kind of like use the vocal side of it mm -hmm. which um is something that you know you actually just gave me something else to check for you mm -hmm. know I've, I've been i've been picking up on people uh, uh musically more than vocally mm-hmm and so, like, that's a good identifier and place for me to look is that precise nature of the rhythmic chord and harmonization of Crosby, Stills, mm -hmm. Nash. You know, so. The only other band that I've ever heard do that is uh, another supergroup band with Sean Mullins and I forget who the other people are in the 90s called The Thorns. Um, they sing harm like that. Matthew Sweet is another one of the members. Um, I forget who the third one is. I'm sorry, guys. But they only put out one album and it's one of my favorite ones, but it's, but they have, they sing that chord like this is that it's a Crosby stills Nash chord. And so, so it's a very rare thing in the musical world um, to, to hear like that particular chord um, because the song is not complicated at all. Like we, we talked when we talked about Dylan, like it's a three chord song or whatever, like this chord pattern, whatever. I'm, I'm not, I might bring, pause this and put, play this in here. This is the same chord progression as blowing in the wind too. Um, it's the same, it's a different key, but it's the same pattern. So yeah, this is the quick lesson chord progression, right? Blowing in the wind is. How many rules must a man walk down before you call him a man? Right. And teach your children is teach your children well. Your father's hell to slowly go by and feed them on your dreams. The one they picks, the one you'll know about. I mean, it's the same basic. It's one, four, one, five. It's basically the structure. I can um, hear that. No, the pattern is two. there. Um, Rhythmic pattern is like we were talking about, like thirty thousand folk songs all having the same basic chord structure. I mean, that this is one of those. Um, so the harmony is what makes it special to me. Right. Anyway. Well, no. See, this is why the voice and rap is so special. Every I told you, everything starts off with Clyde Stubblefield's drum, boom, boom, clap, boom, boom, clap. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. Every last one. So it's like the guy coming in, the voice. So when Chuck D is coming in on the... Well, Chuck sounds as hard as the... Mm -hmm. You know, so it's hitting you different. It's like, oh, shit, this motherfucker sounds as hard as the boom, boom, clap. Yep. You know? And and then you see guys coming after him. Tupac, Scarface, mm -hmm. Ice. Yeah, that's all Chuck. You know, that's the influence of the vocal side of it to compact that um, that repetitive beat pattern that everybody's using. That boom, boom, clap. Yeah. yeah. thought this was pretty good. It is I pretty good. This I can't fun. get out of here without saying this to... to th these, there's two details of David Crosby's life, and I don't want to leave on... Uh, negative note necessarily but two details of his life that kind of have to be mentioned especially in a show like this um he has famously said or famously said many times that rap is not real music um, yeah I, I know i mean like it's, it's a pretty i, I felt I, I didn't want to just like throw that up on the t for you but also like I, I felt like disingenuous having this show about talking about the connections between these genres and stuff without pointing out that he said that and that he also spent most of the eight 1980s being arrested for illegal drugs and gun possession too um which i too aware of that <laughs> so it's, it's a funny um it's not funny obviously but he i mean he, he was not on good terms with he was on acceptable but not good terms with crosby with um stills and nash and young when he died i mean they were amenable but not like getting back together as a band um he he said he pissed off neil young um he called he called his wife a purely poisonous predator um, i wrote that down because it's, i'm like he's that kind of like <laughs> come on dude great, great rhythm and alliteration though <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's a beautiful turn of phrase right beautiful phrase turn um, so this is what i mean so when i was trying to say like you know i was like well he's been a dick to a lot of people it's like well He's pretty notorious mm -hmm. outside of song making for who he is as an individual and a yep. human being. So I'll tell you what I delight in. I don't delight in his death. Okay. No. Even for what he may have said about the culture and the genre that I feel like saved my life and that I love dearly. I do not feel, you know, any sort of animosity or animus towards him in passing. But here's what I will tell you. And here's what people like you know, the posthumous Mr. Crosby needs to understand specifically from that time frame and that age demographic and mm -hmm. for white men. Well, they used to say the same thing about Elvis and about rock and roll. Yep. And what happened? Well, you guys happened and the Beatles happened and Queen and Led Zeppelin and the Stones happened. And so much like the rhetoric that he was espousing about hip hop, well, look what's happened since then. And, you know, quite frankly, he's living in an old white man's world that yeah. doesn't exist anymore. And we live in the real world where you and I have been friends since we were 15 years old. Yep. And, about, and, and this podcast exists mostly because white men like that have been keeping us apart. Yep. And so in a strange sort of way, and this is what I mean, well, I don't have any animosity towards you because you're actually part of my solution, part mm -hmm. of you and my solution. Like yep. if you don't, stuff like that you and me don't feel the need to come together the way that we do and i'm all for that yeah that's that's a beautiful way to end actually i think it's a perfect a perfect ending point so you know god bless the dead and his contributions for better or worse yeah rest yeah. in peace mr crosby rest in peace hey it looks like you made it to the end of the video if you enjoyed that right here is another episode this one's about neil young actually so um check that out and we'll see you next time